Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and if I'm talking a little faster than usual today, it's because I want to cover 55 verses in John chapter 11 today with Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. Whenever I get him on the program, it is one of those days I most look forward to because he's such an awesome, brilliant thinker and all-around wonderful guy. Jeremiah, welcome. Bill, I, I listen, the feelings are mutual. Love you. Love this program. Love you too. I love just the... I love the old emphasis of the red letter words. That's yeah, what we need I to did. be in. The words of Jesus. So I, I'm looking forward to going through John chapter 11. I love this uh, this chapter, and maybe we'll break it up into chunks. So let's start, if if you don't mind, by just going through the first 16 verses, just to get things started. Yeah, and this is, the, just for the benefit of our audience, the whole theme of John chapter 11 is replacing our if-onlys with if-Jesus, you're going to hear, if you're listening closely, there's a couple of different people that look at Jesus and say, if only dot, 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 if only dot, dot, dot. And so, you know, as you're listening to Bill and I have this Bible study, we invite you to join us. And my challenge to you is let's replace our if onlys with if Jesus. Um, And it begins at John chapter 11, verse one. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Again, we hear that a second time. So the sister sent to him, Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anybody walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Verse 12, that the disciples said to him, Lord, if he had fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Beautiful. All right, Jeremiah, let's start digging into this rich text. Here's the interesting thing about it. Um, This is fascinating to me in that because of our historical distance, we don't really realize how Jesus's quote-unquote delay coming 
would have been perceived in the Jewish context in which this story unfolds. And it's fascinating to me because when Lazarus was buried, he would have died that very day, Bill. And so this was a sudden, tragic loss. And I find it fascinating as I look at this that it claims that Jesus waits, all told, four days from the point of Lazarus' death to the point of Jesus actually showing up. So there's a delay there. And yet, one of the things that comes out to me immediately in this passage is there's a larger plan that's unfolding that no one can see except Jesus, not his disciples, not the family of Lazarus. The disciples don't even get that Jesus is talking metaphorically here that Lazarus has fallen asleep. They just don't get it. And Jeremiah, when John is talking, it's, it seems that he wants us to understand that that Jesus's failure to return immediately at once was not because he did not love the family. Exactly. In fact, John goes out of his way to say more than once, notice the one whom you love is ill. And then it says again, Jesus loved Mary right, and her sister Martha, or excuse me, Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. The, the scriptures go out of its way to make it clear, this is not some issue that's tied to sin. This is not some judgment. And it reminds us that illness is not always a result of sin. Many people need to remember that. I often think of the other passage in John chapter 9, verse 3, where the disciples said, who sinned, this boy or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither sinned, but that the power, this happened that the power of God could be made manifest among you. And so, this is not some kind of judgment, but at the same time, my heart goes out to the very real human emotions that are at work at this passage. And then, I mean, honestly, we even see the blindness spiritually of Jesus's own disciples. I mean, Thomas in verse 16 says, well, let's go. We can die with him. I mean, wow, what a statement of sarcasm. Mm. And when we look at the, the signs that Jesus was doing that led up to this, this particular instance with Lazarus is him showing his div- divine authority over the, 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 the enemy of all enemies, which is death. That's exactly right. In fact, you bring up a good word, signs. Um, this, is a, this is a word that's repeated in the Gospel of John. In fact, readers may not be aware that the first 12 chapters of the Gospel of John are actually called the Book of Signs, because there's a series of signs that all point to John chapter 20, verse 31. And I'm going to just flip over there because John is going somewhere with this very specifically. And again, John's the same author that said, hey, look, if if I wrote everything down that Jesus said and did, the, you know, I suppose the libraries of the world wouldn't be able to contain it. But in John chapter 20, verse, I believe it's 31, Bill, and I'm just pulling it up in my Bible right now. It says that now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But look at verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of, the, of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Hmm. Wow. All right, Jeremiah. One of the takeaways that I, I have from these this first chunk of verses, and I've always thought of this when you are in a crisis we are 
commanded to believe. And when Absolutely. We are, when we are having a hard time because of a personal crisis we're in, because Mary and Martha were there in a crisis at this point. Their brother just went in the tomb, just died that day, like you say, put in the tomb. They're in crisis. <laughs> Absolutely they are. And n- not only that, but um, they're wondering, where's Jesus? <laughs> yeah. Know, like, they, you know, where where is he? Why, why isn't he here? Yeah. So I, I understand the anxiety quite, <laughs> quite well. I thought you, I thought you loved him. Turns out he, he does. He loves him very much. Uh, turns out that he is not there in time, according to them. That's exactly right. He's not there. And, you know, and then we see that there's just a lack of understanding. And we even see then that the disciples try to stop him from going. So they're, they're just totally out of the orbit of what's happening in this passage. They don't realize <laughs> that probably the greatest miracle next to Jesus's own resurrection uh, is about to unfold right before them. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. I like that. Dr. Jeremiah Johnston is my guest. We are in our Red Word series, so if you just tuned in, open your Bible. We're in John chapter 11. We're talking about the death of Lazarus. Um, so where do we go from here? Well, there's a couple of things right at play, and I think you're hitting on the immediate. You know, every time I do Bible study, and I hope you guys can remember this, I use the CIA method. Every time I study the Word of God, whether it's, you know, on a program like this or me personally, number one, I'm always looking for the context of the passage. So I want to know what was true in the world of the text. Mm-hmm. What is the context? And this is just a little hermeneutical principle, Bill, that I want to launch off with. It's really easy to do heresy. And unfortunately, good, well-meaning Christians do heresy all the time. All I need to do to become a heretic is to read the Bible without any context or read Jesus without any context. And when I do that, unfortunately, I become a heretic. And so that's why it's so important. We always look to the context. So we're in John chapter 11. You and I have laid out some very important contextual remarks. Also, Scripture always interprets Scripture, so that's why we're talking about the whole theme of the book of John, the book of signs, John chapter 20. So C is for context, I is for interpretation, A is for application. So then we want to look at, okay, if we understand the context, how can we interpret the passage? What is its meaning? And then how do we apply that meaning to our lives? So that's the method I hope we can do for our remaining time together. Mm-hmm. I like that. Now, Jeremiah, you said the disciples were reluctant, didn't want Jesus to return to Judea. Were they um, af- simply afraid of his safety? Is that what, what your understanding to be the uh, the context? Absolutely. I think there's again very real world um, concerns at work here. I mean, this the you know I think it was John chapter eleven verse eight. Last time Jesus. You know, where it says that, you know, that literally he, he, the disciples said, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And now you're going there again. Right. Like they, you, you know, we thought it's miraculous that you escaped with your life. And now you want to go right back again. And so they're obviously concerned for his safety. Um, but again and again, the disciples just don't really understand the Jesus program. And that's why we interpret Jesus through the death, burial and resurrection. It all becomes a lot more clear. Mm hmm. So they were kind of 
glad that he was delaying a little bit and then maybe hoping that he would <laughs> abandon going there altogether. Absolutely. Yeah, they did not see the messianic that God shows up in really difficult circumstances and does amazing, extraordinary things. Little mm -hmm. is much when God's in it. And so, you know, Jesus specializes in tragic circumstances. Jesus specializes in hopeless circumstances. Jesus goes out of his way to interact with individuals who have experienced unspeakable pain. And, you know, the religious people, even the disciples, sometimes want to keep just going through the religious motions, but Jesus is willing to go right back in the fray, right back to the heart of where the pain began, and bring purpose and healing and peace and blessing. Mm -hmm. Jeremiah, what did daylight have to do with uh, death threats? I know that the disciples were afraid of Jesus's well-being, but do you know what, uh, what daylight uh, had to do with death threats? Well, I know something of the dangers of travel in, first, in the first century world. Travel yeah. was extremely dangerous. You didn't travel by night for fear of raiders or bandits. And, you know, that's why, like, even the, even the uh, Good Samaritan parable, um, when he's attacked on the road, I mean, that would have been a regular occurrence, mugging those kinds of things. And so, again, you know, the disciples are very concerned about the safety of Jesus and Jesus is a couple of days journey away. It takes him two days. So he could have been anywhere from 20 to 40 miles away. So um, this, is a, this is a journey for him to go out of his way um, to work and intervene in this terrible situation. Mm -hmm. All right. In verse 16, Jeremiah says, So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Are we learning something about the, doubt, the doubter's character here? Yeah, we are. I mean, we're, we're you know, he, he has this allergic reaction to Jesus sometimes that <laughs> results in sarcasm. And, you know, he's called the twin because some Bible interpreters believe that he was the twin of Matthew. Um, his name is always coupled with Matthew in Matthew chapter 10, verse 3, Mark 3, 18, and Luke 6, 15, I think. And so, you know, the fact that he's called the twin, yeah. And then, you know, John is always setting us up for later. And of course, it's in this very gospel of John that, you know, Thomas won't be convinced until he sees um, Jesus's nail scarred limbs and his scarred side. Um, and John is setting us up for that. It seems that um, Thomas is reluctant to believe without evidence and is even sarcastic in his unbelief at times, or at least in his doubt, we could call it. Um, and I love this because, you know, we see so many things at work in just the first 16 verses where we can identify in our own lives with probably each of these categories. Because mm -hmm. I see in verse 16, Jeremiah, that Thomas is clearly a guy capable of devotion and not to mention courage, because he says, let us also go that we may die with him. That to me is yep. a pretty I mean, courageous statement. He's willing statement. to go. He's not, he's not, he's not flinching. He's not hesitating. But he's also acknowledging the inherent danger. And in fact, later on in the chapter, we're told because Jesus goes and, and raises Lazarus from the dead, the Pharisees literally uh, put a price on his head. It's at this point that the Pharisees really turn to wanting to kill Jesus and put him to death. So it's not without merit is my point. Yeah. Dr. Jeremiah Johnston is my guest. We're continuing our series in the words of Jesus. We call this the Red 
word series. You can open up your Bible and open it to John chapter 11. We'll come back, continue our study in just a minute. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. I am back with Dr. Jeremiah Johnson, and we're continuing our Red Word series. We are in the uh, book of John, chapter 11. If you just tuned in and have your Bible open, we're going to pick up at verse 17. Jeremiah? Yeah, and we're talking about replacing our if-onlys with if-Jesus from John, chapter 11. Verse 17 Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Look at verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, oh, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And in verse 28, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Now I picked that portion of scripture to read just so I could read John 11.35, Jesus wept. I was looking forward to doing that. But uh, (laughs) let's back up a little. Yeah, let's back up a little bit into verses 17 through 27, when uh, Martha says to Jesus, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. What information did she have? What was she talking about there, Jeremiah? What did she know? Well, that's a great question. Very astute of you to point that out. Most Jews believed in the general resurrection that someday the Messiah would raise up Jewish faithful Jews from the dead at the end of time. 
That was a common belief that comes right out of Daniel chapter 12 and late second simple Judaism. Daniel chapter 12 says there'll be a resurrection of the righteous and even a resurrection of the unrighteous. Cool. Um, and then the righteous will shine like the stars um, in heaven. So that would have been a common. So most observant Jews would have seen that. And she would have been like, yeah, Jesus, you know, I get it. I know Lazarus is going to rise from the dead in the end, like we are too. She wasn't, she still wasn't seeing it, that Jesus is himself the resurrection and Jesus himself has power over death. And that's why these, these passion, or excuse me, these resurrections that Jesus performs are notable because he's showing even before his own death and resurrection that he himself alone has power over the worst enemy, as you already said, death. But Jeremiah, we can also see that it sounds like Martha knows her Bible. Yes, absolutely she does. She knows the scripture, she knows the word, and she thinks that Jesus is just consoling her with that promise of an eventual restoration of all Israel in the resurrection at the end of time, at the beginning of eternity. And Jesus, and, and there's a, there's something else at work here too, make no mistake, um, when it claims that, G, that Lazarus has been dead for four days, because we're not very well acquainted with Jewish funeral traditions and Jewish burial traditions, we don't realize that there was a tradition that was at work in, in many Jews in the first century in their communities that the spirit of the dead would hover over the body for the first three days after death. But on day four, the spirit would ascend, the face would be gnarled. Um, and that was the tradition um, that there was a lot of traditions in early in, in first century Judaism, by the way. But that was one. And I just think that's interesting because in the in the mind's eye, in the in the in the perspective of those that were there in Bethany, Lazarus has been gone now four days. He's as dead as dead can be. But... Wow. That is so interesting about the hovering spirit for three days and on the fourth day, Gonzo. So he's quite dead, isn't he? He's he's deader than a doornail. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. He would All right. If he would, in fact, they're worried about his body as we'll see stinking. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, this next uh, topic I want to cover, and I want to make sure we have plenty of time to do it, and we've got about 90 seconds before we have a hard break. So when Jesus responds quite differently to Martha and Mary, he says almost sternly, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. But with Mary, he weeps. Yes, and I think, again, Jesus knows exactly what we need and when we need it. You know, for those of us who are more acquainted in the Word, we simply need to be reminded to trust in God and to put our trust solely in Him. For some of us who are grieving in different ways, where we can't even hardly put words to our grief, Jesus right. weeps with right. us. There's not a right and a wrong way to grieve. And we see that Jesus meets people exactly where they're at in their grief. And the thing that we're going to talk about on the other side of the break is really what I want to get to. It's fascinating to me. I could see, and I'll just say this so you can per let it percolate for the break. Okay. Isn't it interesting, Jesus's, or excuse me, the, the sisters, Mary and Martha, asked Jesus the same question at different times. Cool. Both All in right. 21 and 32. Yeah, we'll be right back with Dr. Jeremiah Johnston as we continue our Red Word series. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill. 
I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. I'm back with Dr. Jeremiah Johnston as we are still in our Red Word series, which I have no idea when we're going to wrap this up. Probably never, which I love. And uh, we're in John chapter 11 today in the story of Lazarus. And Jeremiah, right before the break, we were chatting about the different responses Jesus had to both Mary and Martha. And you said, well, when I come back, I got some real gems for you. So let's get to those. Let's get to those first. <laughs> Well, you know, there's just something about the question. I, I see in my mind's eye that Mary and Martha had obviously been consoling each other before Jesus showed up. They're wondering where Jesus is. Brother Lazarus had died, and Jesus is delaying coming. He could have been there before four days, but for whatever reason, he delays two days. They don't understand the delay of Jesus. They don't understand why he wasn't there when they, in fact, needed him to be there. And in verse, I, I mean, it's just fascinating to me. Martha in verse 21 says, if, you, if only you had been here. And then verse 32, Mary asked the exact same question, Bill. Lord, mm-hmm. if only you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And so, you know, I, golly, I can see myself at certain times in my life where I want to look at God and say, you know, why didn't you show up at that point in my <laughs> life? You know, when I think it would have been in your best interest to show up. And yet mm-hmm. when I look in the rearview mirror, God was there all the time. He was just working a much greater plan than what I could see in that moment. Yeah. And, you know, what I there's so many things that work in this section that I think people need to be encouraged by the fact that you can ask Jesus, where are you? No matter what you're facing today. Ask Jesus, where are you at right now? Is it a financial need? Is it a need in your marriage? Is it a need with a sick relative? God, where are you? You know, if you had just been here. But here's what's interesting, and this is the this is the turn of phrase that I want us to focus on. We need to learn to replace our if onlys with if Jesus. Notice they go from if only to well, now that if Jesus is part of this equation now. It opens up a whole new realm of possibilities. And that's what Jesus was trying to get them to do. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And we see that Jesus is challenging them, even at the point of some of their greatest pain, to put their hope not in their feelings, not in their circumstances, and not, by the way, into immediately what's in front of them, but to put their hope in Jesus himself and to replace that, you know, that if only with if Jesus. And, you know, there's just something about changing our perspective on faith there when we do that to say, you know what, I don't feel it. I can't see it. But I know with Jesus, part of this equation, he is in total control and I can trust him. And so, you know, I want to encourage you ask those if only questions, but be ready to replace it with if Jesus when the time comes. Okay. I love that, Jeremiah, a lot that replace if only with if Jesus, and I'm also looking how rich this text is when you consider the amount of pain they would be in from what appeared to be a sudden death of their beloved brother, who all of a sudden now is put in a tomb, and they're in that moment of, you know, ugly crying pain, which any person would be, and yet somehow Jesus is still doing uh, something instructive and compassionate and empathetic. He's amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah, and if and and he's inviting us to believe in who he really is. He's inviting and even challenging, urging us to exchange our if onlys for if Jesus. If Jesus is who he claims to be, dot dot dot. Yeah. If Jesus is the Messiah, the one promised by the prophets, the one who is coming, who is to come to the world, if he is all these things, dot dot dot. Wow. Then it puts a whole new perspective on what I'm facing today, and it gives me hope. And there's so many people that get mad when something happens that they they can't process, and they're mad at God, and uh, you know they they push God aside because you've disappointed, you've let me down. I can't believe you let this happen in my life. That's right, and that's where Jesus looks at us in those moments. And he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Let, let me explain something. The resurrection of Jesus is not just a doctrine. It's not just some future fact. The resurrection is a person. And in John chapter 11, the person of the resurrection is standing right in front of Martha, teasing her to make the huge jump of trust and hope in him. Make no mistake that that's what Jesus is asking of us as well. Mm-hmm. All right, listen, it's easy to do that on the radio show right now. As I know. Are making their way home. But let me tell you, I have seen this work in some of the most difficult circumstances where there's no reason to have hope. But when I bring Jesus, when I live by if Jesus instead of if only, listen, I want that kind of equation when I face challenges. And guess what? Jesus never disappoints. He never leaves us on our own. And not to mention, you just went through that with dad. Yes, 100%. And, you know, my dad was told he had days to live. And honestly, I did not know which way it was going to go. But one thing I did have was the promise to live by if Jesus, that he's in total control, we can trust him no matter what. I and that, that works in those difficult moments. I mean, I've, I've seen this in my own life. And that's why, does that mean I have more faith? Than somebody that's listening right now? No, it just means I might have a little bit more experience with a faithful God than you do. So it doesn't mean I have more faith than you. Nobody's going to be applauded in heaven for the quotient or the quantity or the amount of their faith, because all of our faith is useless unless it's locked into the right object, and that's Jesus. All right, so are you ready to get to the fun part of this passage? I am. Let's dig in. Okay, where did we leave off? What verse uh, are we at? We're Been up to 30, 38. So verse 38 of John 11, then Jesus, notice again, as Bill has already pointed out, the compassion and the emotions that work in this whole passage. Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. By the way, um, this is parenthetical. I mean, they must have been of some means to have a family tomb in a cave, in a, a stone-cut tomb. I mean, so that's just a parenthetical note for you, Bill. Okay. Jesus said, get, get rid of the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Verse 41, so they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you. You have heard me. I knew that you would always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. 
Jesus said to them, unbind him, take off those grave clothes and let him go. Now, this is really interesting, Bill, because um, there's so many emotions at work. We're even told that Jesus shouts with a loud voice. Do you see that there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Jesus, with a great deal of, of vigor. In fact, you know, I could be wrong, but this is the only place in the Gospels outside of the, his cry of dereliction on the cross where I see that Jesus shouts. And what does Jesus shout at? He shouts at death. And in his time, it would have sounded like this, Lazarus, duro exo, come out. And, you know, to be able to be there that day, I mean, the what kind of awe-inspiring moment this would have been cannot be overstated, Bill. I mean, in fact, some Bible scholars, I mean, it's kind of funny and cute all at the same time. They actually say if Jesus had not used the name Lazarus before he said, come out, everybody who's dead would have just risen from the dead at that time. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love the idea of hearing Jesus shout. Yeah, Jesus is willing to get in the dirty, messy, smelly things of life. I mean, mm-hmm. this guy's dunk. There would have been an odor. The corpse is ripe. Um, the body is starting to break down. None of that matters to Jesus. He creates things from nothing. Um, and Jesus says that, take off those grave clothes and let him go. Um, I love this this whole theme of the, of the detail here that, you know, G, G, Lazarus is bound in a, in a linen burial shroud. It would have been yucky and messy and dirty. And Jesus doesn't leave Lazarus that way. He brings people around him and said, get those clothes off him and let him go. Let him mm-hmm. live. Jeremiah, do you find yourself wishing that you would find in the text a little more of a Mary and Martha response to what Jesus did? Absolutely. You know, and again, these things are written so that we may believe and it leaves us hanging um, in some respect about, you know, but we can only imagine. I mean, it, it, it does, you know, we have to give the people of the first century as much credit as we can. They're just like us. Um, I can only imagine. Um, it, I mean, we see really here Ma- Mary and Martha replacing their ephonies with, oh, I see now if Jesus is here, this is what happens. I should have trusted in him even more. Why did I even ask him that question if only you had been here? Mm-hmm. And of course, the Jewish leaders wanted miraculous signs. And then when they when they when Jesus provides them with miraculous signs and, and evidence of the miraculous signs, uh, then they are afraid of what's going to come as a result of that that people would would start following him and maybe even uprise against rome that's right and again make no mistake there was never enough signs for the religious establishment remember they jesus said you asked for a sign and i'm going to give you one sign the the sign of jonah my resurrection from the dead yeah (laughs) i love it all right um another thought i had is the um, the way in which Jesus, like you said, would took complete complete command of the situation. There were mourners, there's weeping and wailing, and there was four days in the tomb of a dead body. And again, he steps into people's discomfort so beautifully. Um, and I think part of what I always ask myself is, am I willing to step into other people's discomfort? Because that's hard to do sometimes, Jeremiah. 
It really is. You know, Bill, we had a situation here. I'm talking to you from Dallas where un very unfortunately, one of our families in our Christian school was directly impacted by the shooting in Allen, Texas. Um, one of our students lost his mom, his dad, and his little brother um, to the shooter. And last week, all week long, we found ourselves asking this if only question. And all we could do as leaders, and I understand that when we're called to ministry, we're made for moments like this. We're called for moments like this to get in the middle of the pain and the yuck and the hurt. I agree. You know, you, you can't make sense of the senseless. And, but one thing we could do was be the presence of Jesus. And just, I mean, I was making home visits, Bill. I was just being available for moms, dads, students who didn't understand. I had to have some uncomfortable discussions with our own children about what took place. I mean, our kids are growing up in a world that I couldn't have imagined growing up in um, with threats and evil and danger. And yet, you know, it was powerful to see the hope of Jesus, even in the midst of such tragedy over the last seven days. And so, you know, what we're talking about here, this isn't just some kind of theological abstraction. Um, Jesus does get in the middle of the mess and he pre he's with us. His presence is with us when we can't even talk when we're hurting so much. And I think that's what John 11 really shows me is that when I learn that Jesus will seek me out, it doesn't matter if I'm smelly, stinky, or have grave clothes around me. None of that matters to Jesus. He has command over my life and my, and my, all my days are in his hands. Mm -hmm. And I love when Jesus lifts his voice up to the father, give thanks for the answer to his prayer. And it's obvious that he is relating this miracle to his mission as the Messiah. That's exactly right. And he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm praying right now out loud, even though I know you've already heard me, just so that when people see what I'm about to do, they'll believe. I mean, Jesus is doing everything he can to obliterate any obstacles that we have to belief. And we see that these signs point to who he is, not only his messianic program, but his victory over sin for us, his forgiveness mm -hmm. of all of our sin through our trust in what he did for us on the cross and his resurrection. Um, and so there's there are things here that, you know, we need to grapple with. It also, I think, helps us understand how to grieve with people who are hurting, Bill. You know, Jesus doesn't preach sermons. He points to the promises of Scripture and he weeps with people. I mean, that's really the recipe for how we can minister to those who are grieving. Jesus points to promises and then he's present weeping with people who are hurting. There's not a sermon. There's not a get over it. There's not a pat on the back. Um, we just see Jesus focusing on the promises of Scripture. Mm -hmm. And then I also see that the, his voice raises him from the dead. His loud voice <laughs> raises him from the dead. But it's also that, that voice that will take the spiritually dead and give them brand new, raised from the dead spiritual life. That's exactly right, Bill. I mean, and that can't... You know, again, Jesus not, you know, this is where if we go back to that original section when Jesus said Lazarus has fallen asleep, that's koimao in Greek. Um, it's interesting how many times believers when they die are said to be asleep in scripture. And that doesn't mean that they're in some kind of soul sleep or, you know, some kind of purgatory, but it, it does describe the nature of death for the Christian. It's peaceful. 
It's like falling asleep when you know Jesus. Jesus says he fell asleep and I'm going to go wake him up. Um, And it's the very term we get. uh, We get cemetery from coimeterion in Greek is actually sleeping rooms or dormitories. This whole thought that Christians would be buried together um in in there they would be unified and buried together um so that they would be risen together they would they would actually rise from the dead and so again we see hope here the hope of resurrection even with how jesus describes death as falling asleep Mm -hmm. all right we'll take one more short break when we come back we're going to wrap up the rest of john chapter 11 with dr jeremiah johnston you're listening uh, to our red word series And if you have your Bibles open, it's John chapter 11. And if you've missed any of this, you don't want to do anything, but go right to the beginning after the podcast comes up and hear it from the beginning. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. John chapter 11 is what we are studying today. I'm with Dr. Jeremiah Johnston, and we are um, going through verse by verse, and we're down to our last 10 verses. Jeremiah, I love where 45 starts. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. <laughs> so we got some that believe and some that went and tattled. That's right. <laughs> and even more so, we see that the hardness of heart of those that don't believe. Yeah. Um, verse 46, they went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is the man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up and said, You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. Now, it's interesting, Bill. I mean, you talk about someone who's uttering a prophecy who didn't intend to utter anything prophetic, and that's Caiaphas saying, it's better for one to die for everyone than everyone to die on account of this man. Um, we see, though, the impact of this miracle. Verse 53. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an organized effort to murder Jesus, to kill Jesus, to get him out of the way. Again, this is a corrupt priesthood. This is a corrupt priestly family. Annas, Caiaphas. Um, these people didn't care about the things of God. The Sanhedrin, part of which were the aristocratic Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection. They didn't want anything. You know, they were living very well, very high, very, very fluent living under this Roman occupation. They didn't want anything to change. And so we see the hardness of heart. They acknowledge Jesus is doing something miraculously. The whole world's going to believe in him. But listen, some signs aren't enough for people. I mean, some are so hard in their unbelief towards God, their unbelief, their commitment to evil. And this is where we see theologically that God is a gentleman and he is not going to force himself on people that don't believe in him. And so some people are like, oh, you know, 
I need more proof. I need more evidence. Well, there's not going to be enough evidence at all if you're not willing to believe. If you don't have a worldview that will allow you to accept the miraculous, perhaps it's time for you to rethink your worldview. Jeremiah, when you were des describing, um, it, it sounded almost like they were some kind of corrupt crime family. Yeah, they very much are. I mean, when I have reach this passage, um, I often go back to like, it's almost like the warring Romeo and Juliet family, families, the Montague, Montagues and the Capulets. I mean, uh -huh. you talk about a, a, a family that did everything to kill Jesus and his family. Remember, it wasn't just Jesus, but Caiaphas, Annas. They're the ones who went after James, the Lord's brother, and actually stoned him to death in AD 62. So this family has it out for Jesus. It's like the Jerusalem mafia, as it were. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about, we just have about four minutes left, maybe some of the takeaways that you have uh, yourself from John chapter 11. There's a couple of key takeaways that, again, and I would encourage people who are just now tuning in, you're going to want to listen to this whole context because this has been a rich Bible study uh, that Bill and I have had with you all. So go back and listen if you've missed any of it. But there's a couple of key takeaways. We've already discussed the fact that suffering is not always because of sin. Um, there are some that have a wrong theology that if someone is sick, man, they must have some sin in their life. Well, that is not true. We see that evidenced in John chapter 11. And we already said that not all suffering in individual experience is necessarily related to any specific disobedience. And Jesus also makes that clear when he heals the man born blind at the pool of Siloam. Um, we see also that it's not necessarily the amount of faith that activates Jesus. In fact, Jesus sometimes works when we have no faith at all. We see mm -hmm. that in his experience with Mary and Martha as well. There's another key takeaway for me. God is, and, and this is really, really important, um, and I want to make sure people don't miss this. The implications for us is that we should not quickly assume that God has let us down when we're in the midst of difficulties. No, we need to replace those if-onlys with if-Jesus. And we need to see our difficulties through the perspective of, hey, Jesus must be doing something really great that I can't even see it right now. Mm. Well, that is forever going to be part of my my thought now is not um, if-only, but if-Jesus. If that is uh, powerful. Amen. That's going to stick forever, Jeremiah. That's really good. You know, and it's the, almost like we're using that if in the biblical sense, almost like the word since, you know, like if you're raised in Christ, well, no, since you are, since Jesus is who he said, then what can we conclude? Yeah. And then in verse 54, it says, Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the, the wilderness to a town, a town called Ephraim, where he stayed with the disciples. So. He uh, was not walking openly anymore. No, and I mean, made again, plans those, to put him to death. Those that know their Bibles know that Ephraim was actually one of the cities of, of uh, refuge. David fled there. These were these cities you could flee to if someone wanted to kill you or if you like owed a debt. Um, and so there's a lot of symbolism, even in the fact that Jesus spends his last few days in Ephraim before he heads to his passion. Yeah. All right, we only have about 90 seconds left. So bonus question that has no answer. Wouldn't you love to know what happened to Lazarus when he died? 
Yes, absolutely. I mean, the only thing, well, and, and what's even more interesting is the fact that Lazarus dies a second time, Bill. I talk about That's this, true. if you don't mind me saying, <laughs> in my book, yeah. Body of Proof. Jesus is the first one to rise from the dead, never to die again. In fact, there's a strong church tradition that Lazarus is buried a second time on the island of Cyprus. So I don't think he was worried all that much about death the second time around. Been there, done that for Lazarus. <laughs> yeah. All right, Jeremiah, always uh, great to have you uh, with me on the program, and it's been a fantastic study. And do you, uh, what do you have coming up next? Do you have a, a, a another book coming out soon? Bill, you know what? I do. I'm actually working. Thank you for asking. I'm working on a Bible study called Body of Proof. It's an adaptation of my new trade book. It's going to come out, Lord willing, before Easter next year. So I'm getting that done. And I'm finishing a devotional Bible on the peace of God and just thrilled and excited to have a really busy summer, as I'm sure everybody else cool. is. We're, we're ready for school to be out in the Johnston yeah. home. Let me remind listeners of Jeremiah's book. It's called Body of Proof, The Seven Best Reasons to Believe in the Resurrection of Jesus and Why It Matters Today. It is spectacular. I've, I have a copy and I've gone through it and it's uh, amazing. Jeremiah, thank you so much for doing the show. Bill, you're a blessing and I love this program. Love doing Bible study with you. Thank you so much. I, I as well. That's all the time we have. Have a great night, everyone. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.